I'm just pressing record because why waste a good joke? <laughs> so, Seiko, you've been with Open Science already a year or so. Have you already uh, built up some guilty pleasures? I have a guilty pleasure, but it's not really related to my work. I look at the COVID numbers every day. And uh, so the beginning was, of course, the, the number of uh, people who got infected, etc. But now there's a new guilty pleasure, which is the percentage of vaccinations around the world. And there's a beautiful website and you can check it every day. It's ourworldindata.org. Okay, no. so I think counting by the amount of people who actually take the numbers every day, the open science movement had a big boost in population, I guess. I guess, yeah, it must have. Yeah, I think open science definitely was in the news all the time more than ever because it was really connected to your health, to your life. People were discussing what does it mean to have a peer-reviewed article. Over and over again, people had to explain what is a peer review and yeah. what does it mean to have the data. But also we had these cases that you know the journalists ask uh, the decision maker, oh, what is the basis of your decision? And... You know, if you are in open science mood, say, yeah, where is your data? But then the answer comes that, yeah, why should I explain it to you? Go yeah. search it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very funny. But we still have this discussion, even until the last case, you know, we had the ask for transparency even goes beyond science. You know, we say, you know, you, you have the decision to have the vaccination one week later than the rest of the countries. It's okay. It's a political decision. It's very... Maybe it's very wise, but show us the evidence. Show us the evidence, yeah. So everybody's asking Never before was it the call for openness so strong. Well, that's a good opening to say that uh, we are going to relaunch the Road to Open Science podcast. Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> it's a little celebration, though. Uh, let me introduce you, Siko, first. <laughs> uh, yeah, the enthusiastic guy you hear sitting next to me uh, is Siko de Knecht. What's your title, Siko? I'm a coordinator, I think. I'm not sure. But let's just say I'm in the open science team. That's fine with me. Okay, so Siko is at the open science teams of Utrecht University, hired especially for open science to put open science on track at Utrecht University. And uh, he actually somehow also brought back the Road to Open Science podcast, which we started about uh, two and a half years ago. We had a good go of looking at the philosophy of uh, Open science, all the practices, it became nerdy at some point, a little bit. And at some point we thought, yeah, let this sink in. And became a news chat, went to the open science community at Utrecht University. And uh, yeah, then a lot of things happened. But now Siko is here, a podcast enthusiast, and he asked me for a relaunch. And I just jumped at it because <laughs> I love... I didn't even actually have to ask. <laughs> no, I, I was so ready for it, Siko. <laughs> I was so ready for it. So, and... To you all, welcome to the Road to Open Science podcast, your guide on everything open at Utrecht University and beyond. This podcast is a relaunch of the Road to Open Science podcast, and I have a co-host, Siko de Knecht. Siko, you just introduced yourself. What is your role exactly at Utrecht University? My role exactly is I'm part of the open science team, which drives the open science program at Utrecht University. And my ba my job is basically to facilitate everybody in getting this transition going. And I spe specifically focus on open access and recognition and reward. Also on education and open science at the moment. And what I do is try to help these conversations go forward and try to make Utrecht actually make the shift to open science. But hearing you, it seems like you have read a lot of the documents of the open science that university generates quite often. 
But what do you actually do? You know, when you come to university, do you have a title? Uh, I have a title. I think it's program coordinator. And actually, I don't come to the university that often because <laughs> I started of in September. Stupid of me to ask this yeah. question. But in your Teams meetings that you have every day, who do you meet? I meet a lot of people, especially academics, but also support staff. And we talk about decisions like how should we deal with open science uh, questions at the University of Utrecht. So right now we're working on a new system for recognition and reward that is supposed to make it a bit more heterogeneous than it is right now yeah, because we only look at the output that people have in their research. We want to be uh, reflective that there is much more to being an academic than just doing research. And for example, this takes a lot of time having discussions with people on really what the important aspects of the recognition and reward system are and how people would like to be recognized as a member of the academic community. But this recognition and reward or recognition and appreciation that you mentioned, is it actually the question that academics ask you or is it the new management talk that we hear more and more? Well, I don't meet many managers, so maybe that's a consolation to you. I ah. meet a lot of people who are academics and think about these issues and are really driven. Um, and I hear stories sometimes that sort of sadden me that when I think, well, that's the fact that you did something beautiful that is outside the scope of just research and there's no real recognition for you in any sort of way. Um, that It saddens me, but I, I'm happy to be in a place where everybody agrees that this is a problem and we mm -hmm. should change this. Well, I'm very uh, curious to hear more of these cases. Maybe we can actually have some of these special cases on the podcast and hear from them. What are they doing and what are they missing? Yeah. And getting the credit is apparently once, but probably also getting, getting the attention and resources to continue is definitely a part of uh, what is missing for sustaining these uh, activities, which usually starts on the after hours, I guess. Yeah, and, and it and it shouldn't. And um, over the past couple of years, I've been a journalist and uh, I started writing about open access at, the, at a certain point, which was a boring topic to most of my colleagues. And I started to find out that there was actually politics behind it and there were very high interests of specific or of different parties, not only financial interests, but also personal interests. And I started to write about open science more and more and more. And I just found out it's it's a very personal thing. It's a very human thing. It's about culture. And that's what really fascinates me. And that's why the stories, I think, are so important. And that's what I would love to bring to this podcast, to talk about the real human stories behind the open science movement. But what's your personal take on open science? Um, I think it is our way, our one way to make the academic community a community again. Because in the past couple of decades, it's been much more about competition and about individualism and about me first. And I don't think that's the very essence of science at all. I think sharing, collaboration and, and supporting each other is way more important. And an open atmosphere where, we, where people share stuff, but also talk about their feelings, talk about how we interact with each other, talk about the rules that we've implicitly adopted. I think that is very important and that to me is open. And when, once we've done that within our community, we can also broaden that community to make it as large as society itself. What I really think is beautiful right now in uh, what's happening around COVID, which is a horrible thing, but is that we really do get actual discussions between policymakers, people in hospitals, people in science, and they together think about problems coll collaboratively. And there's a lot of sharing of information and people looking at data in different ways because they have access to it, which is a much more communal thing than science usually is. 
Yeah, so this is the thing that people put under the umbrella of team science now, mm-hmm. for example, you're referring to. But what happens to the individual drive of discovery that, you know, every kid wants to, you know, be the genius, be the, you know, symbol, uh, lone scientist, which does a breakthrough. Is there room for that? Left of course anymore? there is. Because to be recognized, you need to share stuff. Okay, so and you, and you need to talk about it with other people. I think this is one of the, the nice things about open access publishing is that there's actually studies out now showing that if you publish something open access, it's read sometimes five times or ten times more, which I think is more reward for your discovery than putting it in a journal that is not read by many people because they don't have a subscription. And I also would be very flattered if somebody took the data that I produced during my PhD and made something new out of it. Or looked at it in a different way and maybe said, well, this uh, sicko guy was not really paying attention when he did this analysis. But then still, if we together can advance the, pro- the, the our field, I don't really care. That's fine, right? Actually, that's also one thing I observed. Even this process of publishing by the lonely wolves or by the geniuses, what I've discovered was that actually academics, even those who really want to do the classical track of uh, discovery, a very social beast. So even this act of publishing and going to conferences is a social act of belonging. Yeah. And they would like to belong to a community that they respect and they want this community to respect them back. It's only that people have chosen these communities in a very strange way, you know, in around disciplines or sub-disciplines. They really want to belong. They want to be the first to discover. And the, the norms of the community comes back to people. It's sort of internalized that if I want to belong to this community, I have to behave like this. And what open science brings to this type of thinking is that it actually breaks this idea because then suddenly people can belong to many communities at the same time. And you know, sometimes you feel uncomfortable because to belong to this other community, which are all, I don't know, public outreach enthusiasts, I have to give up some of my uh, attachment to the other community, which I'm very comfortable with. And the barrier is high, but I've seen many people, once they cross the barrier, they become an absolute fan and say, oh, yeah, of course, this is also a community I enjoy being. It's like, you know, you always go with the same people to the party, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you have to go to the company party, and uh, you feel very awkward at the beginning, but, you know, maybe after two You're times... You're in that corner. <laughs> you find out, oh, <laughs> well, these are it. also good dancers, maybe also yeah. <laughs> I can dance with them. And uh, so academics are very, very social beasts. So, coming up, we have an interview with Melanie Imming. She's an independent consultant and the lead organizer of the Netherlands National Open Science Festival, which is coming up February 11th. Uh, it's going to be an online thing, um, I imagine, so anybody can sign up. And um, we're going to do that right after the news. All right, so, Sanley, what do you have for us? I saw that actually just before the New Year break, uh, NVO, the National Science Foundation of the Netherlands, mm-hmm announced that they have this special new grant targeted at open science. Money, money. This is this is the first time that research money is given especially for open science projects. And uh, yeah, it's getting serious. It, it really sounds serious, but what, who can apply? Yeah, unlike the other uh, grants uh, or many of the other grants here, it's quite open. So mm-hmm. you only need a PhD to start applying. Just you can also PhD. apply as a team. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you don't have to have a tenure track positions, which many of the grants at MVO uh, uh, have uh, as a requirement, which is already pretty high requirement. 
and uh, well that reduces the number of applications but here you if you have a good you know story about promoting open science you can apply for and the deadline is uh, 1st of april okay so so sunny do do you have a good idea for that would make it to an open science grant Absolutely, I have yeah. a good idea, a good team, and uh, I'm not going to tell you that. Why in the <laughs> This is the definition of open. Can you just give us a, like, lift the veil a little bit? I'm not sure that is a definition of open. <laughs> but what news do you have for us, Siko? Well, I read recently that uh, the big publishing house Elsevier signed DORA, the San Francisco Declaration on Research Assessment. Uh, and I was really wondering, do, do you have an interpretation, Sunday, what that means? Uh, yes. Actually, DORA is the second uh, of these uh, manifestos they have signed. First, they did the Leiden Manifesto back in July. Mm -hmm. And uh, DORA is more recent. Utrecht University also signed it just, you know, one and a half years ago. Yeah. NVO also signed it not so long. But signing DORA is not so difficult for a publisher because DORA has these principles for every uh, sort of class of actors separately. And it has a certain series of principles for publishers, yeah, which so, are separate from universities. Yeah, so for university, it means that you, your research assessment is going to change, isn't going to be based on just age indexes and, and impact factors, etc. So what does that mean for a publisher? For publishers, it has uh, five uh, principles, and many of them, actually four of them, Elsevier was already doing for a very long time, because it's not very difficult. It says, you know, you have to provide many metrics. Elsevier loves that. But there was one of them which was also very critical, is that you have to open the citations. And mm -hmm. it's specifically targeted at publishers, and Elsevier resisted for a very long time. And finally, you know, they changed their policy. Now their citations are open. What does it mean is that now, as a, you know, you can actually find out, a robot can look uh, all the articles of Elsevier, which are the citations. In this way, uh, the person who sort of makes a metric mm -hmm. is free to choose their criteria. Then you are no more sort of reliant on some company like ISI, Thomson, to tell you what is the edge index of this person. I see, I see. Or Google has a different algorithm, gives a different number, and then people choose whatever is larger. And people have found inconsistencies because these, uh, these citations were not open. Yeah. And so they, has, when oh. I go to the website of your article, which is not open access, I will usually find the abstract, and now I will also find the citation, the the literature list. I don't know about on the website article, but this is all about bots. Right? About Elsevier uh, has fourteen hundred uh, journals. It's I don't know a million articles a year, so it's not about person finding. Maybe that was accessible always. But it's about the robots or the Crossref, in this case, the platform that shares with all the other publishers have access to this citation. So everybody can make the citation map now. And maybe this university says, you know, I'm going to give, you know, first authorship a different weight in then calculation. And this was not possible with just, you know, trusting the number that the, the company gives and actually had to pay for. But this is the direct way of, you know, uh, signing to Dora. Still, you know, there are indirect ways that... Uh, Publishers generally enable universities who have also signed DORA or have not signed DORA to uh, stick to these principles. And that I have there still some doubts because if you go to my Scopus personal page, still mm -hmm. the edge index is very much big on the top. And yeah, so yeah. it is an enabler, but they are not directly sort of uh, negating their role of the DORA because it's a different principle. Yeah. So... A step, but maybe not in the complete right direction then. I think it's with good uh, 
let's say, let's hope that this is with good intentions. Okay, let's just hope that. Anything else to bring to the table? Yeah, the UU strategic plan came uh, also out uh, after almost a full year of uh, editing. It had a little bit, bit of a delay, but I think there was a corona delay. Oh, you were involved in this. And uh, the title, I think the title was new for me. And uh, what's the title again? Open Blick, Open Houding, Open Wetenschap. Yeah, I only know the Dutch title. Do you know the English title? By heart? I should have known. <laughs> you should have known. Let's just say open is in it three times. Three which times. Is, that's yeah. a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's 50% it's, of the title. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, this reminds me a bit of the uh, the vision document of the European Union 2016, which also had three times open in it, right? Open innovation, open knowledge, and open to the world. Mm-hmm. Now we have three times open at Utrecht University, so open mm-hmm. is everywhere. Do you have any recommendations for uh, from the open science world? Well, actually, you recommended this to me, and I started listening to it, but there's a nice other podcast which involves science as a whole, but also a lot of open science, and it's called Everything Hurts, and the end is with the TZ, as That's in the, of the frequency. frequency yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's a really nice episode with the uh, editor of eLife uh, that just came out, and it's about all of these new peer view, review options, and uh, actual called Open Peer Review, where you go into a discussion with your peer reviewer on what his or her recommendations are and whether they're really good recommendations, you'd follow them up, yes or no. And I think this is really interesting from eLife because it, it, it's, of course, this uh, fa- it's founded by this Nobel Prize winner, Andy Sh- Randy Shackman, who said, I don't want to do uh, the big flagship journals anymore. I want to create my own journal where uh, the scientific integrity is, is the most important thing. And I really like that they are constantly experimenting with new forms of uh, review processes and publishing processes. Uh, talking of open peer review, actually, in the episode three of the previous series, uh, we had a discussion with Jean Sebastian Co, who is the founder of SciPost, and they even don't call it peer review anymore; they call it peer witness. But oh. uh, it is; it, they have a complete philosophy and very well described on their website uh, of SciPost website. But I fully understand that it's a big difference of uh, scale of the you know condensed matter community, theoretical physics community, the uh, doing something or the life sciences uh, doing something. It's yeah, like, we'll, we'll put that in our show notes, Sunli, because we're going to have show notes, man. Absolutely. <laughs> it's time for Melanie, I guess. Yeah, well, let's Fun. call her up. So currently not in the studio, but via Zoom and via a lot of hassle, we have Melanie Imming, uh, an independent consultant, and she's the lead organizer of the Netherlands National Open Science Festival, which we will be talking about very shortly. But first, Melanie, maybe I'll ask you to introduce yourself quickly. What drew you into open science? Oh, that's a long time ago. Um, My background is in digital cultural heritage. So I was working at the National Library of the Netherlands for quite some time. Um, So I came into the sort of open science area coming from the digital preservation uh um community i see um and what really triggered me when i started working at liber the international organization for research libraries um and i all of a sudden i was surrounded by open science because i was the lead of all our european project work so we were involved in about six to seven uh projects simultaneously so my team was working on all kinds of open science up uh, uh, projects and therefore I'm still very much interested into what happens uh, internationally 
uh, in the open science area. So uh, yeah, that is sort of how I came into this. And I've been following everything that is happening in open science for around six years now. So uh, yeah. Six years. Uh, why do you think it takes so long? I mean, when I talk to people about open science, everybody says, yeah, this is obvious, of course, this is just science, and what are you making a fuss about? But you have been in this, and you're still accelerating it, which means that it's not going fast enough. Well, I'm a historian by training, so six years is not a long period, if you ask <laughs> me. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I understand why you ask this question, because a lot of people say this. But, you know, it's a... For me, open science is a cultural change. Uh, um, and if you really want to change the way people are working, if you really want to try the whole ecosystem in academia, six years is not a long time. Um, so for instance, certain things that happened around the turn of the century are now really accelerating. But I mean, that is just how change works. Unfortunately, I wish some things would go uh, faster. But also, on the other hand, I'm a very positive person. If you look at what is happening now compared to where we were six years ago, it's great. You know, there really is a change happening on all levels because we don't we, we not only need change um, in, in how people are working, we also need to change everything that is needed for people to change their ways first. And that needs to happen on the European level, on the national level, on the institutional level, all these levels. If, if you would have asked me six years ago if we would be where we are now, I would not believe you because I, I, I would have thought that it would take longer. I see. But, yeah, so yeah. Uh, I talked suddenly at the beginning of this episode also about the way that I encountered open science, which is about four years ago, which it, when it was still was much about open access. And uh, I think we've we've seen a great change in, uh, in the perspectives on open science. What do you think is the best new addition to the concept of open science? Uh, please, no more new additions to the concept. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm joking. But, um, well, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm personally not too much involved in the open access developments. I'm more into the data and how we can share things. And for me, it's really about team science and being able to work together with people from other disciplines. So, for instance, very often I'm the only one with uh, a humanities background in a group of computer scientists. And it's great, you know, because if you're open to other perspectives, then you can do so much more. So sometimes they want to put out a survey, for instance, and then I'm like, you know, maybe we should ask someone from the social sciences about our survey, because maybe your questions are a bit biased, you know? <laughs> and if people listen to you, uh, then all of a sudden you can do so much more. And sort of the convergence of all these different people working together is what really drives me and what I really, really uh, uh, like about what is happening at, at, at the moment, yeah. So you have been uh, working both in Europe, but also in the Netherlands for six years on all sorts of open science projects, but also on policy. How do you compare the state of Netherlands as a country as, and Europe in terms of open science advances? Well, of course, you know, the Netherlands is was at the forefront. It still is, but I'm slightly worried that, and I mean, that is in a way sort of the, 
you know, if you're the first and it's difficult to keep up with always staying in, in front of the rest. Uh, so there are lots of other countries who now all of a sudden are, are, are doing things that I think, hmm, that is actually much better than what we did in the Netherlands. You know? Can you give an example? Well, for instance, in, in, in France, you have, if you look at the amount of money that they put into the whole open science movement uh, on a national level, that's enormous. It's much more than what the Netherlands is doing, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, if you look at Germany, where they have this difficulty with all the different states, uh, but still, if you look at on, on the federal level, what they're doing, what they're sort of the amount of money that they put into all kinds of developments is, 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 is great. So that is one of the things that I always try from my sort of small role in the National Platform Open Science is, you know, we really have to get more money in the system in order to doing the things we want to do. Um, I don't know if they listen. <laughs> they probably yeah. will be, yes. Very rich. I also have this question for you because you say you, you come from a background of cultural heritage and um, I have conversations with people from the humanities and social science also quite often and um, we get sort of stuck sometimes in the definition of data and open data. C can you give us like a couple of examples of what is open data in the humanities? What does it look like? Is it just books or is it more? <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's much more. Uh, no, um, well, the thing is, I always talk about fair data, not open data, um, because for me, open data is things like um, governmental data mm. that has to be put out. It's, it's different from research data. So when you talk about research data, for me, it's all about fair. And one of the great developments is that more and more people from the glam world, so galleries, libraries, uh, uh, archives, museums, uh, that they want to adopt the sort of fair principles, but adopt them towards their specific needs, because on certain points, they are far more advanced when it's about quality, when it's about long term preservation, of course, they yeah. have thought about certain things more than people in the research uh, 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 data area. I'm just, I mean, these are just very black and white statements, but just to give you an idea of what is happening. Uh, so, for instance, last year I was at the Rijksmuseum. I did a presentation on fair data there uh, for the Sharing is Caring conference. And it's great to talk to people there. And, you know, if you actually dive into all the definitions, etc., there's a lot of overlap. So we can really work together when it's about links, open data, how you connect all kinds of things, how you can learn and work together. Uh, I, I, I definitely see uh, overlap. So that's 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 excellent. Yeah. All right. Um, maybe it's time for us now to talk about the upcoming National Open Science uh, Festival. Is It's a festival. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the program, maybe by saying what you are looking forward the most? Well, the, the whole idea behind the festival is, you know, the, sort of the concept is meet, share, inspire, care. So the whole idea is that it's not a festival about talking about this is what we want you to do now. It's about meeting peers and talking about the next step you can do in order to work more openly. You know, for me, open science is about opening up more. It's not about black and white, either you're working openly or not. Uh, and the whole concept, the whole idea was, you know, if we give a podium to all the other people working openly already on certain you know, elements, whether it's preprints or uh, open access books or uh, uh, data pre-processing, I don't care. You know, as long as 
they're doing something which can be valuable for others in the Netherlands. It's, it's great to be able to share these things. And of course, the idea was to all get together in Wageningen and meet up with each other. And we now try to do the same thing, but then in an online situation. So we have 14 sessions, two pre-conference workshops and, and 12 uh, sessions, which are all led by people uh, uh, from the field from other universities. I believe there are 10 different universities uh, working together there. So, you know, it's open for everyone who wants to know more and you don't have to have a lot of experience in open science. You don't even you know, have to work openly already, but it's just, you know, sharing what others are doing. Um, because for me, examples from others are the best inspiration to change your ways. Is the registration still open? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We're now, I, every day there are more, but I believe we're now at 300 uh, people. 300? Yes. Oh. And our aim was to have at least half of them to be active researchers. And at the moment, that is the case. What I hear from a lot of people who have registered, it, it, it's a lot of people who didn't do that much yet. They just want to know more about what others are doing. So that is excellent. Um, and that is more than I've that I dreamt of uh, um, when we decided to go online. And also, I mean, it's open for everyone, of course, now that it's online. But you see that a lot of people from different Dutch institutions are uh, signing up. And one of the uh, sessions that I'm really looking forward to also is the, the Mingle and Meet session. So we have two options. We have a Zoom uh, um, a mingle and meet session where people can meet together in a Zoom room and you know we have all kinds of breakouts. But we also have the gather town option where it's more like, okay, you can really bump into people virtually and have a, a conversation about certain things. Um, but because gather town can be a bit, it has a steep learning curve for certain people. So, so this is a software you use for a meeting, Gather Town? Yeah, it's, oh. you don't have to. You don't have to download anything or whatever. So it's 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 uh, um, it's easy to get into. But you know, we have so many different people signing up for the Open Science Festival. We want to sort of be able for all kinds of people to um, mingle and meet. So therefore, we also have the Zoom room because now everyone in the Netherlands knows how to use Zoom. <laughs> Do you see any big change in the Netherlands in terms of public's approach or policymakers' approach towards open science concepts? You mentioned fair data, but I mean, government data is also part of that. Do you see that happening already or... Well, what you do see is that with the whole COVID situation, it has become so evident that we have to cooperate more often and that we have to share data. And one of the speakers at our conference, who will be there uh, in, in, in a video, um, is uh, a professor who, who will describe how the medical centers work together and all of a sudden share data oh, cool. to get as much information about um, uh, uh, COVID as possible. Uh, and, you know, how, how, how difficult the situation is at the moment, it is a, an example of how you can all of a sudden create uh, or accelerate uh, uh, um, and, and speed up the, the sort of shared knowledge 
um, and, and, and that is great. I mean, it's a combination of having the right tools available, but also the right mindset. And that is, that, that is, yeah, that is excellent. Even though, of course, it's, it's a really strange situation. Where people can find you, Melanie, and when people can also learn more about the festival? We have a website, theopensciencefestival.nl, where you can sign up and you find, you know, there's an, an, an overall email address where you can, can, can find me. And, you know, the easiest way to reach out to me personally is via Twitter. Of course it is, yeah. <laughs> and your Twitter handle is? Uh, Mel Iming. Okay, we'll put it in the show notes for sure. All right. Well, we'll see you the 11th of February then at the online festival. One last comment. If you only want to be at the festival for the Mingle and Meet, do sign up because otherwise there's no way you can get in. I've already signed up. <laughs> yes, I know. That's great. Looking forward to seeing you there. Yeah. Well, thank you for being with us, Melanie, this time via Zoom. Hope next time we'll meet, we'll be in real life and maybe also in a podcast in the studio. Yes. Uh, thank you very much for being on our podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. Okay, Siko. So that was the first episode of the relaunch of uh, the Road to Open Science podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm I so it. glad <laughs> that here now I can actually express my personal opinion and not be this, you know, nice host <laughs> that uh, not, has nothing personal. So I can tell things. How did you feel about the discussion with Melanie? I liked it. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to this festival. And I really like the idea of not having these keynote speakers and having a uh, like a high-level policy brief, etc. No, I want to meet people who do open science every day and I want to hear from them. Yeah, we're going to be visiting many more of these types of projects in the coming months. We're going to try to do this as on a monthly basis, right? Yes, definitely. So stay with us. Uh, and uh, Next month, you will hear another new episode of the Road to Open Science podcast. Yeah. And in meanwhile, if you have ideas, topics, news, or something you would like to bring to our, our attention, we're both on Twitter as well. Me at Seko de Knecht. Is my and I'm at Sanli. So just give us a ring, send us a DM, and uh, we'll take your considerations into account. And R2OS podcast with uh, Domeric 2 is still active. Uh, so we get all your comments and we really appreciate that. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. And off we go. We go. Good. But you didn't tell me your personal open science joke. I don't have a personal open science yeah, joke. Come on. Do you After have four one? years, <laughs> you, know, you should have an inner joke. You've been listening to the Road to Open Science podcast. The Road to Open Science is an initiative of the Utrecht Young Academy and supported by the platform Open Science at Utrecht University. It is hosted by San Livaas and Sikha de Knecht and edited by me, Lieven Heerenmans. Please subscribe to the podcast feed to stay up to date.